Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Good morning. This has been the strangest year that I can remember. When I look around, sometimes I walk around and I see people with masks on and I see all the things that are going on. It is like, what the heck is going on here? It's so weird to me, but it's reality. We've gone through this pandemic and after the pandemic, we come to this point where we have this thing going on with the president and the presidential election. And even though the presidential election's over, it's unsettled. Just as Pete has been saying over all these weeks about this matter, that we, the church, is not America. The United States of America is a nation. But he hit the nail on the head. The church is other. It's other. We lose our peace sometimes because we look at our surroundings and we get all frazzled. Though America is great, this is not our home. We are sojourners here. And not just sojourners, but we are ambassadors for Christ. We have something that's different than the world. No matter what goes on here, one thing does not change, and it is the purpose of God. We allow things like this to distract us, but we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. You know, God says in the book of Ephesians some amazing things, but in the third chapter, you know what he says? Three times he mentions about a mystery. This mystery has been hidden for ages, For ages and ages, even in the Old Testament, they didn't know what this Redeemer was going to be like. But God was going to send his son. God was in Christ, reconciling the world into himself. Now we, in these last days, God has opened our eyes to the son and what he has done for us. It changes everything. If you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been called into his purpose. You know, salvation, sometimes we think is this. We're not going to hell anymore, which is a wonderful thing. But God has so much more for us. It's not just salvation. You know, when a soldier comes and joins the army or whatever military force he is, he puts on that uniform. But that uniform doesn't make him a soldier. What makes him a soldier is that he goes into battle. Even me as a firefighter, when I was brought into that, I loved my job, I loved it. I've done it for 33 years. But let me just say something. When I put on that uniform, I wasn't a firefighter. When I was in the fire... That's what a firefighter is. 
Let's read this first scripture. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's two words I want you to look at, the word works and the word walk. They are actions. There's something that we do. You know, we are in Christ. We are his workmanship. So what Christ had done on the cross, that work, when he brings us in, is his workmanship. And now that we are in this workmanship, he has prepared things for us to do. This work. And we need to walk in it. We need to walk in it. You know, sometimes I feel that we are like a get in an inner tube and we're floating down eternity river until we meet the shore of the promised land. That is not it. That would be boring to me. I hear people float in the river. Oh, I'm going to go float the river. I mean, it's great to see it for a while, but after a while, I'm done. I, I, I need to be doing something. And that's what God is calling us to. So during this time that we're getting together here, I want us to, I'm going to talk about two guys, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, to illustrate what God is wanting and how this, we go through this, um, this process in order for us to be in the purpose, and I'll, I'll talk about these guys. The first guy is Moses. Now we know about Moses and everything like that. He was from the tribe of Levi, but he was born into Egyptian captivity, And even though he was born into Egyptian captivity, he really didn't have, he wasn't living amongst the Hebrews. So God, in these times of happening, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh himself now becomes fearful of these Hebrews because they're getting so big in number that he becomes fearful and he tells the midwives this, anytime a Hebrew woman is going to give birth and it is a male, you are to kill it. But it says in God's word that the Hebrew women feared God. I want us to remember that. They feared God and did not do it. So we know the story. Moses is born. He's born and the mom keeps him for three months and then she can't hide him anymore. So we know the story. Puts him in the basket, covered in pitch, floats it down the river. And who finds it but Pharaoh's daughter? And now she raises Moses in Egyptian royalty. And as time goes on and he grows up, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and Moses kills him. And when God, when he finds out that he was found out by Pharaoh, he becomes frightened and he, and he skips town. And he goes to a town called Midian, far away in the south. So he goes to Midian. When he gets into Midian, there he marries this woman. And then he becomes working for his father-in-law, Jethro, shepherding his flock. Now, he's shepherding his flock on the west side of the wilderness near Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb, later on, we'll find out, is Mount Sinai, where Moses receives the Ten Commandments. So as he's walking, shepherding the flock, we know the story. He sees this burning bush, and the bush is burning, but the bush is not being consumed. And he says these words, I must stop and turn to see this marvelous sight. So I want to say something right there. I want to stop. This marvelous sight, this burning bush did not change Moses. 
This vision that he saw didn't change him. You know, I had a girl who worked with, in CareFlight with me for many years, and she went through this real difficult time. She was not a believer, but she knew that I was, and I invited her to church, and she came. And matter of fact, she heard me preach a couple of t- one time. But um, soon as things got better in her life, she went back to her old lifestyle. You see, it was almost like the burning bush was here, and she just walked by, never turned. But Moses says, I must turn and see this marvelous sight. And when he did, that's when this thing began to change Moses. The first thing that happens is that he calls Moses by name twice. He says, Moses, Moses. You see, when God repeats things in the word of God, like Jesus did in the New Testament, he says, truly, truly, he says, get ready. There's something important that I'm going to tell you. You need to listen. Listen up. And this is where he comes, and he's going to say to, talk to Moses that way, just like he said to Abraham, 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 and Samuel, Samuel. Something important was going to happen, and God was going to do something important in Moses' life, and he still didn't know what was going on yet. This is what happens when he turns and he says to him, Moses, Moses, he says, do not come near here. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place you are standing is on holy ground. I want to stop there for a second. When God calls us, when we are being called by God, it's a holy calling. It's something that is different, something completely different. You know, sometimes we talk about God and he's a loving God and caring, which he is, but we need to see the balance that he is also holy. He is majestic. And now Moses now is being called by this God. Take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. You know, servants in those days took their shoes off as a sign of humility. And God says, Moses, don't come near me yet, but you are on holy ground. When we get called by the Lord, he calls us by name. Then he reveals his character as being holy. And then, listen what it says here. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his, fa- hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. First of all, he says, You're the, I'm the God of your father. Little f. That means his father is from the tribe of Levi. And Moses is his great-grandson. So your great-grandfather knew me. He says, I am the God of your father. And then he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, the reason why he's saying that, I am a God. I did not change. I'm not a new God. I'm not going to share something new with you. I am the same God who spoke to these men in years past. What happens here is that Moses hides his face. Why is that? You see, when he revealed, first of all, his character and then revealed who he really is, he says, I had to hide my face because I didn't want to look into the face of God. You see, fear is the beginning of wisdom. And this wisdom, we need that. 
It is the fountainhead of wisdom. All wisdom comes from when we see God for who he is and when we see him, that fear keeps us so reminded. And he hides his face. Being very sobered when we see those things going on. You see, now he's speaking to Moses. And the thing is, that thing that he spoke to Abraham 400 years ago, and he says, Your, my people were going to be held captive for 400 years, and then I am going to deliver them. Moses, it's 400 o'clock. Guess what? I'm coming to redeem my people. And he doesn't realize it, but he's going to be part of this. Things haven't changed. Remember I told you, the purpose is still the purpose. He is a redeemer. He rescues us. And listen to what he says here. I've come down to deliver them from the power of Egypt and bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey. And then he speaks about, the, and it's going to be a land of the, the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites. He gives them this broad picture of what he's going to do, but it's a good and spacious land. He doesn't keep them from not knowing about the enemies that may be in the land. He gives them this broad picture. And listen to what he says. Moses never thought this was going to happen. But he says, come. What? He says, yeah, come. And I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses had no idea that God was going to use him. The church today, saints, listen, we are called into God's purpose. It's his purpose, but he's using us. Remember I said we were ambassadors for Christ. God is calling us for this purpose. And we need to move into that purpose. And Moses is a little anxious at this point. But later on, you know what God says? I will certainly be with you. You're not going by yourself. This purpose that this church is involved in right now, he is with us. We should not fear. All the things that are going on around us right now, you can become fearful. But God is still on the throne. When we get nervous, it almost like God chuckles and says, are you kidding? I'm still on the throne. I'm right here. I'm with you. And that's what God is calling us to, to this purpose. It's amazing that God uses us. Amazing. I'm, I'm, sometimes when I think, why would God even use us? Because God had a plan. Could God have delivered the people all by himself? Yes. He could have sent all the plagues, but he decided to use Moses as he has decided to use us. We are instruments in his hand. The next guy I want to talk about is in the New Testament, Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now Saul had his own purpose, and he wanted to go out and arrest anybody who belonged to the way. That's what they called Christians. So he went to the high priest and got letters to go into Damascus. Now, Damascus was a city that had many, many Christians. And he figured, if I go in there, I can bring all these people bound back to Jerusalem. 
And the thing is, is that God had another purpose. So he got the letters, and he went on his way to Damascus. And he's about to meet the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I'm going to read some scripture to us here. It's not going to be on the screen. But listen to what it says here. As he's riding there, it says this. As he traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, Who are you, Lord? He doesn't even know who's speaking to him yet. Remember, he calls him, says, Saul, Saul, twice. Get ready. I'm going to do, I'm going to do something important here. And he said to him, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In other versions, you know what it says? I am Jesus the Nazarene. He wanted him to be sure that it was no other Jesus, but the one he was persecuting, the one who was in in charge of the way, in charge of Christians, I am the one, Jesus the Nazarene. That's who you're persecuting. You know what he must be saying? He's alive. I thought this was all fake. So now he reveals to him who he is. But it is something that God called him. That God called Saul a murderer, and he's calling him. The light knocked him down, and he's on the ground. He says he was blind for three days. I want to read this other part, though. This is an amazing part. He told him to stand up. He says, and you'll go into the city and I'll tell you what must happen. And in the meantime, he calls one of his disciples, Ananias. Jesus does. And he says this. The Lord gave him a vision and said, Ananias. And he said, here I am. Do you see how many times he called his name? Once. See, when God is our shepherd, We know his voice. And he's going to tell him what he needs to do. He says, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen a vision that a man named Ananias would come and lay his hands on him so that he may again regain his sight. But Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how he is harmed, how much harm he wanted to do to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon his name. But the Lord said to him, listen to this. For he is my chosen vessel. He is an instrument of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. See, when God calls us into this purpose, when he truly calls us into this holy purpose, there are times when we will suffer. We will suffer persecution. There are things going to happen no matter what's going on around us. Those things can be the very thing that try to trip us up, but we need to keep our eyes focused on the, focus, uh, focused on the purpose of God. I just want to read this one other part where it says where he is speaking to King Agrippa and he's re- rehearsing, re- reiterating the story to this king. And he says, you know, after he tells him all the stuff, he says, um, but get up and stand on your feet 
For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you and a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jews and the Gentiles. You know what he's saying? You're going to go to the Jews and Gentiles, and they're going to try to capture you, but I'll rescue you. I'll set you free from them. Then he says this. And I want you to go there to open the eyes so that they may from turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to, the, to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who've been sanctified by faith. You see, God gave Saul a purpose. He's going to go to a place and preach the gospel, being that ambassador, in other words, as what to do. You know, in verse... Nine in the King James Version, it says, when God spoke to him, he was trembling and he was astonished. Trembling because of God speaking to him and astonished that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. And God is calling him. Even though Moses was insignificant in his own eyes, all I am is a shepherd. And then you go to Saul and you see that what he is doing, and that he is full of himself, that he's on a path that he was going to destroy Christians, yet God calls. No matter where we are in this earth, I don't know what you guys have done in your path, and I don't want to know, but I'm just saying, wherever you come from, God is able to use you. If you feel the call in your life and you respond to the call, there's a purpose ahead of you, and he will use you no matter what you've done. And that's what he wants to do. But in order to fulfill this purpose comes this next thing. If you don't listen to anything else I say, listen to this. This is important. He's calling your name twice. You know what I mean. He's ready to say something to you. Look what it says here. Before I turn it on, I'm going to tell you this. In order to fulfill God's purpose, you need to have wisdom from God. Sorry, let me go back. I lost it. Uh, Where am I? I'll read it to you anyway. In Isaiah, in the 55th chapter of Isaiah, it says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you understand that God's wisdom is other? It's not our wisdom. It's not what we think we should do. But God is trying to show us in his wisdom we can fulfill the purpose of God. But in order to see this wisdom, we have to see ourselves as destitute when it comes to doing the will of God. We need to see that our wisdom is anemic and it is lacking. It's insufficient to do the will of God. God says it takes faith to believe in him and trust in him so that in that, when we realize what we're going to do, we need his wisdom to do what he wants us to do. You know, my wife even said to me, and I, I, I'll reiterate again today, the funny thing is, is when I go out and share the gospel sometimes, I use my own wisdom, and I come up with the same line every time I say, oh, do you go to church to get an opening? But I can't say it to everybody the same way. You see, people are different. God will reveal to you what you need to say to that individual that will cause them to want to hear what you have to say. 
It's not our wisdom. It's God's wisdom in order to move in that direction. I don't know where I am on here, but we got to get to James. There it is. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach. I'm going to stop there for a second. He gives it generously. He takes buckets of his wisdom and pours it out on us. And he does it without reproach. That means without disapproval. He doesn't say, come on, guys, you know what you're doing yet? It's not that way. He gives us generously because he knows we need that wisdom. Outside of that, we're not going to be able to fulfill it. And let's see what it says next. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. We cannot stagger at the promises of God because of unbelief. We can't do that. Because then God cannot fulfill what he wants to do. We need that. Psalm 111.10 says this. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And those who follow his commandments have a good understanding. You see, if God has promised in the word of God, in James, that if you ask for wisdom, he gives it to you, why would we doubt? God does not lie. From cover to cover, this is the word of God. This is the truth. When you stand in the truth and believe what God says, if you ask for wisdom, he will give it to you. And you'll be able to do what God is asking you to do without doubting and fearful, being fearful. But here's the problem with our wisdom. I showed you God's wisdom, here's our wisdom. We look at things practically. Well, if this happens, then we should pray this way, or I should do this this way, but it's not true. See, the way God does things sometimes is contrary to the way man does things, and man don't understand it. When God sent the children of Israel to Jericho that one time, and they marched around the city seven times on the last day, and the walls tumbled down after they shouted and blew the trumpets. That is not a military strategy. You ask any general, he'd think you're nuts. The thing is, it wasn't what they were doing, it was their obedience. God was doing something different. He needed to show them. When God does things for us and does, when, when he's showing us something, he never does things the same way all the time. That's why we need to be so in tune with him and so much in his presence so that we know on how to travel and how to do things. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, when they came upon the man who was born from birth, his disciples said to him, who, who causes the sin of the mother, the sin of the dad? He said, no, no, it's so that God would be glorified. And Jesus spits and he takes a spittle and mixes it with mud and puts it on the man's eyes. You ask any optometrist if he would do that to heal somebody's eyes. You'd think he's nuts. But God actually put mud on the person's eyes. And when he did that, he says, go wash in the pool of Salaam. And he saw. God has to open up the eyes. And then I wrote this thing down. We must be so aware of our blindness when it comes to God's wisdom. And like this blind man, we have to see, understand that we cannot see what God wants us to see unless God opens our eyes. And then we will see the wisdom of God. I work at Cabela's part-time now. I wanted to do something. So I like Cabela's. And I like to hunt. 
I've been hunting my whole life. I really enjoy it. And I thought I knew a bunch about it, so when they hired me, he says, what would you like to do? I said, I'd like to work in the hunting department. Oh, good. Within two days, I was in the weeds. I'm telling you, I didn't know. They were asking me questions about reloading and about black powder guns. I was lost. I says, sorry, bro, I ain't got no information. I got to go get help. But what ended up happening was I started hanging out with these guys who were seasoned in this department. And I got to hear them, and I saw them how they spoke to these men and, who, and women who were looking for things that I had no clue about. And before you know it, as I spent more time with them, I began to know what I needed to know. It's the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ. You spend time with him, and you know him. And that's what this is all about. Listen to what it says here. In Proverbs, in the second chapter, in the, in the third and fourth, fifth verse, it says, cry for discernment. It doesn't say ask. It says cry out for discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. Seek it as for silver and seek it as, for, as a, a treasure. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. God is wanting to show himself to us, but we need to cry out and search for it as like a treasure. The knowledge of God has all to do with intimacy, being intimate with God. Remember I told before about this, God's purpose. He calls it his eternal purpose. It had no beginning and it has no end. And this purpose is what he's called us to. But part of that eternal purpose is in the book of Romans. And now we always know about Romans 8.28, but nobody really goes on and reads 29, and which is very important. Let's just read that. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be, he, meaning the Lord Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. First of all, it says that whom we, we love God. If you love God, this is whom he's speaking to. But here's the most important part. This is part of God's eternal purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This verse is so important for us because he foreknew us for a purpose and he predestined us to become like his son. This conformity we don't do. He predestined us to be conformed all he wants is our cooperation. It's something that happens through revelation. As God begins to reveal himself to you, then you begin to see him. And as you begin to see him, you become more like him. And the moment you become more like him, then things naturally happen. You begin to have this wisdom that you need. And before you know it, you are moving in that direction that you are so conformed to him. When I was young and I first came to know Christ, I was so hungry to know him. I wanted to be 
what he wanted me to be, in other words. And I had a dream that night. And this dream was this white sheet. It was so pure and so white without wrinkles or anything in it. And that was God's presence. And as I walked onto that sheet, coming into his presence, I realized there were things in my life that needed to go. When I'm in his presence, I begin to see the impurities in my life. And as I see those impurities in my life, I began to take them off and get rid of these things until I began to see that I'm getting to look more like the sheet than I am me. You see, the more you spend with him, you will be conformed into his image. You're becoming like him. And then we don't have to worry about wisdom, in other words, because now you are so in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this wisdom becomes part of your life. And before you know it, it's just coming out naturally. Something spiritually natural happens when we spend time with him because God sees your heart because he says, if you love me, right? And if you love him, he sees that, and he begins to, to make you conformed unto that image. What an amazing God we have. Unbelievable. You know, John, in John's gospel, Jesus prays the high priestly prayer. Three times he says to his father, Father, that they may be one as I am one. And then he says it again. He says that they would be in me, and I in them, and you in me. You see, God's eternal purpose is that we would be so one that being the body of Christ, him being the head, we are members of the body. There's no difference. We are part of that eternal body that God has, this eternal being as we are part of. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. So important to see that. Do you think that that prayer that he said to his father wasn't answered? No, it was. We just have to come into the fullness of it. It's a truth. He prayed that prayer and God is doing it. This conformity only comes through being one with him. You know what Paul says? Twice in scriptures, you know what he said? And you would think that he's being pompous or proud. He says, be imitators of me. What? He was so in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ that when you saw him, he says, if you be imitators of me, you'll be just like Jesus. Because you know what he said at the end of that verse? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The reality had hit him in such a way that he knew he was so much like the Lord Jesus Christ. He can say, be imitators of me. You can say that too. As you become more conformed into your image, people are beginning to see that you are different. Christ is coming out of you. You're living in that relationship where people will see that you're different and people will come to you and people will get to know who Christ is through you. We serve God, not out of compulsion, but out of love. We become so much like him in nature and character that we are so much like him. And then Paul can say these words in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. He experienced the reality that he is no longer living, but Christ is living through him. That is the eternal purpose. That is what God is calling us to do. That very thing 
he's calling us to do. Have you been living on the white sheet? Have you been seeing things that may need to go? Have you seen his amazing glory? You know, when John was in the book of Revelation and he got to this point where he is standing there and he says, I heard a voice behind me and I turned around and there was the one. He was clothed in white with a golden sash and his eyes were a flame of fire and his, out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. This is the very God, the very Lord Jesus whom he loved and God, Jesus knew him. He was special. And yet when he saw that, he fell down as a dead man because he saw God for who he really was in his son. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, was, he became fearful and fell on the ground like a dead man. See, that is what the vision we need. We need to have that vision of God, of who he is. I'm going to read this last scripture to us, and it's a little confusing, but I'll tell you what it is, and then we'll close. The words of the wise are like goads, and masters of these collections of these words are like driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. Now, a shepherd at the time, when he would have oxen, he would have this long pole, and at the end of the pole was this pointy object. And when the oxen would slow down and not moving in a, in a, in a steady pace, he would poke them in his hindquarters and make them go. Sometimes we become stagnant and we're not moving. But because he is the good shepherd, he's going to prod you. He's going to goad you to go in the right direction. And then the other one, it says, and these words that people speak, wise men, they are like well-driven nails. You know what that means? It keeps you on the path. He nails you to the purpose in which he called you to. So he prods you when you slow down, and he keeps you on the straight and narrow. That is who he is. We have to come to a point now in our lives to make those decisions. Are we going to walk the path that he set before us? Because that is the only way. Because you know what? Just like he told Paul, Saul at the time, you can't kick against the goad. You can't stop my will from happening in your life. Move on or you're going to be injured. Your flesh will be injured. Just move in that direction. And that's what God is wanting us to do. So why don't we pray? Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you have called us to a purpose. And I pray, Lord, that as we spend time with you, that we would move in the direction of staying on that white sheet, Lord, and seeing things that need to go, and that we would serve you in such a way that we enjoy to your heart, that you have people who let you live through them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.